You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. Hey everybody, this is Vinny Hale and you're listening to Up to the Mic, where we sit down to dive deeper into topics that matter to you and explore the habits and techniques that our inspiring guests use to be successful. My next guest is a graduate of Texas A&M University who has recently landed an acting career in Los Angeles, California. In addition to his love and passion for acting, he's also amassed a following of close to 50,000 followers on his TikTok account, where he shares his best tips and tricks for being as fit as you can be. Please welcome my next guest, Jacob Mathismeyer. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Vinny. I'm looking forward to talking and catching up and everything. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. So you and I actually knew each other during our time at Texas A&M. Um, I just found out that you recently graduated. We've kind of gone several ways after after I graduated and it's good to reconnect like you said but tell me about um the last I guess six months or so that last semester you said said you decided to graduate a year early right so I guess I at the end of last year kind of started in in May of last year it was the end of my junior year and I had this kind of mindset where you know after my junior year I had a year left in college and I loved college so much but I had no idea what was on the other side. And I wanted to stay in college as long as I could. I wanted to figure out how to stay the full next year, even though I only had nine hours left of school to study. So over the summer, I worked a virtual internship at Lockheed Martin doing kind of just basic basic uh, supply chain work. And I worked virtually in California. And while I was there, a lot of just pieces connected. And I figured out what life was like after graduating and what how many fruitful things there are in life and how many adventurous things you can do specifically with Lockheed. I had such a great work-life balance working for 10 hour shifts and adventures adventured so much on the weekends and inevitably got into film, got into TikTok and um, media in general and like loved it. So by the end of the summer, I realized like, Oh my gosh, I'm so ready to graduate. I'm so ready for this next chapter of life and um, made the decision that it made so much more sense to graduate in that fall and start pursuing life after college now having these different dreams than I had, you know, even just in May. So life has changed a lot within the past six to nine months. I've completely changed what I want to do and what I think about and like all these other things as a result of the summer. It's crazy how things like that happen because for someone like yourself, who obviously is extremely highly, highly motivated, I remember someone, you know, telling me a long time ago, your plan's going to change from what it is now. And I'm sure if you remember as a kid, you probably had a million different ideas of what you were going to be when you grew up. And it's funny to see that that continues well into your college years, even right before graduation. I mean, Mm -hmm. doing an internship with a prominent company, and then deciding that you're going to take a chance on yourself and go out and do something else. Life is funny that way. And, And it's crazy the way that the dots don't always connect or line up like you had planned. And I'd like to say that, or I venture to say that they often don't connect mm-hmm. like you plan. Most of the time, it's uh, quite the opposite. But yeah, it's crazy. Life changes so quickly. And I 
did not really it's just like you said you know you don't expect it at all and then it just happens and one thing leads to another and you're in a new pair of shoes in a new world and it feels so different but so fruitful absolutely well I want to take a step back here, and part of what I like to do in all these episodes when we're going in and diving deeper into who you are as a person and what your story is, is to go back to the beginning. And so take me back, tell me about your background, where you're from, what you did growing up, what your family was like, the whole nine, and then we'll we'll kind of transition later and follow up with what you're doing these days. Yeah, sounds good. So I guess to encapsulate everything, I grew up in Katy, Texas, which is kind of suburb outside of Houston, always been really tight-knit with my family, and I've always loved sports and just being a kid, to say the least. Like, I grew up, I was the kind of kid who wore the superhero costumes everywhere at all the stores and loved playing a character, and all in that was, you know, I'm the third child, and I've got uh, three siblings, so I've got an older sister who now works as a nurse at a uh, elementary school for students that have disabilities. I've got an older brother that works in investment banking in Florida. He actually played football at Columbia. He's a big role model in my life. And I've got a little brother who's in high school right now playing high school football, real close to all of them. Um, my dad played football in college as well. He played at Texas Tech. And my mom went to a school in Louisiana, um, real close to all of them. And the thing that I think kind of connects our family is faith, and sports my sister she rode horses at texas tech so sports has always been like so like bonding between all of us growing up so many of my memories of my brothers are playing football in the backyard or just doing anything you know the ways i hang out with even my friends and people nowadays is still through sports through going to the gym and i found a love for that growing up but yeah really tight with my family and um for a while that was football so i guess you could say growing up it was you know, I always want to have fun in life. And so whereas most people might like football or might like sports because they like hitting people or they like the sport, I liked it because I had fun and I just enjoyed going to practice. So me and my brothers are a little different in the sense that they like the sport for different reasons, but I like it because I have fun and I was just, a, just love being a kid and I still do. Uh, so as life kind of went on, you know, still really close to my parents, still close to my siblings. And say around the time high school rolled around, football really started becoming a thing. You know, when I was, say, a freshman in high school, my brother was a junior and he was recruited by big schools like UT and Notre Dame and all these big schools um, to play football. At. And he was really smart. And so I like to think that football and my brother put a real good aim on my head and acted as a great role model for me because my brother had great grades. And like I said, he ended up playing football at Columbia. He got an injury that... Um, caused some of the big schools to stop recruiting him and, and then got the offer to play at Columbia, went there and set me up for success in doing that because I ended up really just making similar grades to him, playing football similar to him, and um, eventually getting to the point where I was going to play football in college. And so I actually didn't get into Texas A&M as a student. And this is kind of like a big part of my story in college because I think when I look at what I'm doing now with entertainment and pursuing acting in the media industry, I love entertaining people. And what I, as I, I, I never realized this in the past, but my favorite part of football was how fun it was when you make a play and get the crowd to go wild. And, and in Texas high school football, it's really big stadiums and it's such a cool feeling. And later on in life that turned into boxing and other outlets. But I can remember in high school, I didn't get into A&M and I actually got into play football at Carnegie Mellon, which is a good business school in the Northeast. And I remember I 
I went visit the school and it was a great school, great academic school, but I just didn't feel like at, I didn't feel like I was at home when I went there. So I sent an email to, to the dean of the business school at AM with the help of my dad and ended up getting into May's business school through word of mouth and through emails of me getting into different schools because of football. So because of how much AM has changed my life since then, I'm always thankful for football, for my brother, for my dad and the rest of my family for that. Because fast forward, I end up getting into the business honors program at AM and making amazing grades, way more than way better than I did in high school and better than my older brother, actually, um, better than he did. So um, that's a knock on him a little bit. But um, a lot of things just landed well and, and as college progressed I've loved Andam so much and loved the people and it's helped me maybe not in the exact industry I'm going for with with uh the entertainment industry and acting because there's no program at Andam for that but it's helped me find myself and find so much more little pieces about me that I think I'll I'll be able to take so far with me in life so all in all what kind of defines me and, and shaped me in the person I am today is the sports the family, like my sister, like I said, she's a nurse for students with disabilities and she has the most hands-on servant work that I love and is so cool to me. And like, you know, my brother now he does investment banking, but he's one of the smartest guys ever. And that job is rigorous. Um, and he's just a great guy. I look up to my dad, and my mom so much. So they're great people. And um, sports has played a big impact. And of course, the last four years at AM has kind of shaped me and, and just allowed me to figure out meeting people through meeting people what it looks like to be a man and striving to be a man and um pursuing a career that makes my uh heart light on fire a little bit kind of like I'm doing now so yeah yeah I actually never never knew that about you and I'd always known the football story and I had heard plenty about your brother I never actually understood the way that you got into May's business school and I think that's incredibly impressive and it just shows the drive that you have I don't think anyone is under the impression that you fall short in the in the realm of accolades because you definitely have the grades you've got um the demeanor you've got everything you can check off the list and i want to know if there was you know you you mentioned the dean you mentioned your parents you mentioned your brother was there anyone you met during your time at AM that played a major role in you kind of becoming the person that you are today whether that be a student or a professor or um anyone with any organizations you were involved in or whatever it could have been, someone that you ran into off campus. Definitely. There is one person that always comes to my mind and I might get choked up talking about it. It always gets me a little bit, but the first day I was in college, I mean, like any other student, when you move to a new city, you just don't know what to do. And I was uh, sitting on my couch and, uh, oh, there you go. I was, I was sitting on my couch and uh, just didn't know what to do. And I got a text from Wilson Pappas, who was an old family friend of ours, who at the time was a super senior. So he was in his fifth year and I was a freshman. He was way older than me, but he kind of just knew of me through family and his, me and his little brother are, have been best friends since we grew up. And so he, he called me and told me to come over to his house. And so I went over to his house and he wasn't even there. I ended up sitting on the couch with his roommate, Gino, who's now a good friend of mine. And I was sitting there talking to Gino for a while, just nervous. I remember knocking on the door and like ringing the doorbell and I go in and Gino's like, no one ever knocks. Everyone just comes in. That was weird. And I was like, I'm a freshman. I've never been. <laughs> Long story short, I meet Wilson. And I get to hang out with his friends who, Vinny, you know, a lot of them, but got to hang out with them. And turns out they were all in an organization together that I ended up joining and um, became very close with Wilson. And he became somebody that I loved so much 
primarily because seldom in my life, I was always around great leaders and great people, but Wilson was the first leader I was around was um, not afraid to voice his vulnerability and tell you where he fails and, and um, hold you accountable to things. And he'd be the first to tell you when he messes up. He would rather him tell you when he messes up than anyone in this world. And so I really admired that, that he could, um, I got into this organization and he was leading the organization with that same demeanor, but also led me as, as he mentored me in that same type of way. And I loved that so much. And I got to go visit him in California with 14 or 15 other guys and got to just camp in the middle of Yosemite with him and have all of us in a 16 person van just driving through California through the Sequoia National Park through Malibu and just making memories with barely dimes in our pocket barely spending money and I just like loved it I found this new sense of adventure in myself he's the one who pushed me out of my comfort zone to go to Qatar and meet people that have impacted my life so much more like Jake Trailer, Billy Shea, Col Colby Clement who you know a lot of these names but um I think Wilson is the uh, one person in college that really showed me like how to make college amazing and how to get as much out of as you can and make great relationships. Because one, another big thing he told me was, Jacob, as college goes on, you meet more and more people, but your circle only gets smaller, smaller, and smaller because Jesus only had 12 disciples. You know, there's, it's hard. You can't be friends with everyone. So one thing I always did was double down on the people that I was closest with that have kind of turned into guys like Nicholas Keller, uh, Colby Clement, Jake Trailer, and, um, Karthik Shetty, a lot of closer guys that I've created through college has been because I never wanted a massive group of friends. I always wanted really close individual friends because that's what Wilson had. And um, he gave me that advice really early on. And he's someone I still keep up with, still look up to. So, yeah. You're probably not the only one that would say something similar to that note because Wilson has made that impact on plenty of people. Yeah. And while my relationship with him wasn't as close as y'all's, he's definitely had an impact on me. Um, but at the same time, we've got to keep him humble. So uh, yeah, Wilson is an awesome you. guy and he's done some amazing feats. I need to, I was actually thinking the other day how I need to have him and Chris and Gino on to tell me and do a recap of their recent um, canoe race, oh, trail yeah. race. I forget the name of it. It's escaping me right now, but it was like a 250 mile race in a canoe that they just absolutely destroyed. And so I want to have them on to chat about that here in the future. Mm -hmm. That would be a good one. Well, okay. Tell me, I guess we're going to transition a little bit here. I want to know, you mentioned, you brought it up about all these different adventures you started going on. Mm. Has there been one that stood out the most, whether it be the location you went to, or as you just spoke to the people you were with, um, whatever it could be, is there one of note that you just remember wholeheartedly as being like, wow, like this has completely changed my perspective on things. Great question. And it's such a hard one to answer. Cause like, top two it's always the people that make the trip top two are probably Colombia and Qatar but I think Qatar would have to be number one just because it was the springboard for all the other adventures that I've been on and so I went to Qatar uh long story short in the organization that I was involved in that Vinny was also involved in a guy stood up in the meeting his name was Abdullah and um he basically just said anyone who wants to come to Qatar can come my family pay for everything just pay for your plane flight and so me and Jake Trailer uh, ended up going. And I only went because I was on the phone with Jake. And he was like, hey, Jacob, I heard you were thinking about going to Qatar. And I was like, I was a little freshman at the time in college for like two months. And Jake was a junior. And he was, he was like, yeah, yeah, you should come with me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like, 
I'm thinking about it. I might come with you. And Jake texts me the next day. He's like, hey, just book my ticket. Let me know when you book. And I was like, oh, so we're like actually going. That was that was no <laughs> thought. Like we're actually going on this. Yeah. Um, so I ended up booking it. And that trip is my favorite primarily because it was so out of my comfort zone. Never been that far away from home. It was right after the semester ended. And I didn't even get to go home after my freshman year of college. So I was kind of homesick at that point. But I went there and from flying there with Jake, it was mostly just me and Jake until we met Abdullah in Spain. But we were flying, just laughing, just sharing stories and being dumb in the airport. We get to Qatar and we get to Spain. We we had a six hour layover in Spain, got to see the Santiago Bernabeu, which was sick, and then flew to Qatar and just like have never experienced that that much culture and have never been for lack of better words, the minority in a country before. So I thought it was so powerful to experience the accepting culture of Qatar, which is most mostly uh, dominated by the Muslim Muslim culture. And it was so welcoming and getting to pray my own prayer with Abdullah in his mosque um, and see so many people that were just willing to give you anything and just meet you in Qatar was so neat to me, even though not many of them spoke that great of English or I looked different than all of them. That meant nothing. You know, everyone treated you so well. Um, And on top of that, the food was amazing. I I, Spending the night in a desert for two nights, I'd never done anything like that. And I don't know, there's just so many little things. Getting to see Texas A&M and Qatar and getting to see how beautiful their uh, campuses are. That In Qatar, they don't have one specific university. They have a university hub that has um Johns Hopkins for medicine it has A&M for engineering it has I think Carnegie Mellon for theater and it has like another school for something else and it's just this hub of amazing schools in Qatar with so much expensive things for no reason because it's a very wealthy country so that was really cool and then having just deep conversations and getting to know Jake and Abdullah on top of his roof at 2 a.m were also just amazing and then in the house we had a personal maid and a personal um driver uh and it was just great. I'd never experienced anything like it. And it opened my eyes up to how big this world is and how cool it is and um, how you really develop great friendships on trips like that. Cause me and Jake are still very, very close. That is awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I need to reach out to Jake and see what he's up to these days. But I remember when that initially happened, didn't y'all all come back with, I don't remember the name of the garment, but y'all all came back with your own personalized. Yep. Um, we all had thobes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so it, one of the days was designated for me and Jake to get Thobes and to uh, show that we like were accepting the culture and loved it. And it's cool. I still have it. I haven't worn it. I've worn it once since then. I think I wore it to one meeting in college. But um, yeah, that was like a sign of us accepting the culture. That's awesome. Well, you are extremely well cultured. You're extremely well educated, and now you have taught yourself or explained to me how you've learned to act. Explain to me where this came about. I know you mentioned during your internship was when you first kind of fell in love with media. What have you done since then to one, become the actor that you are now? And then two, maybe transition and tell me a little bit about what you're actually doing these days. I know you're actively on set for a movie uh, that I saw recently. So explain me kind of what you do to prepare, how you got to where you are, and then what you're up to. So this will probably have to start in uh last july june july-ish so accepted this virtual internship for lockheed was doing just business work for them and decided that i wanted to 
just move out and adventure the world. And I moved to California thinking that I would just be adventuring a lot. The last time I went there was to visit Wilson during my sophomore year of college. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go out there by myself, find a lease and figure it out. And so my internship started when I was in Texas. And about two weeks in, I got a lease in California and just kind of found it on Facebook. It was kind of janky, but it was from a UCLA student. It was a lot cheaper than most leases. And so I, I packed up my bags one Thursday after work and drove to California. I actually drove overnight to the Grand Canyon and got to see the sunrise there, which was pretty sweet. And then took a nap in the bed of my truck and finished off going to California. And funny thing on that drive there, I was driving there and I was like, man, like, I can't wait to see all of California, just thinking about all the hikes that I'm going to do and all these other things. Then while I was at the Grand Canyon, I got there and it was like five in the morning and I sprint to the edge of this cliff to see the sunrise. And I was like by myself and I was journaling a little bit. It was beautiful. You just see all the Grand Canyon sunrising above it. And there's just these massive holes in the Grand Canyon, if you've seen it. And you see the sun just start to put light on the whole thing. And it's just beautiful because they're however thousands of feet deep in the Grand Canyon and it just becomes light all and it's just pretty and I was like oh that's so pretty like and I see it I'm like well I guess I go back to my car now so I took a nap in the car and then I walk back out after I wake up and I was like oh like I guess I'll hike it and then I hike it and I realized in the hike and this is on my way to California I'm I'm hiking down the Grand Canyon and back up and I'm hiking down and I realized that I only either sprinted or talked to random people because the only thing I really do by myself is work out. And so I would run and then I'd talk to people and then I'd run whenever the people got tired of talking to me back, I'd leave to talk to other people. And I realized I was like, crap, like I don't really even like hiking. I like <laughs> the, the feeling of being with people. I like talking to people and the, the vibe with people. Uh, and so I was like, man, I don't know how to be by myself. And so I end up I had a little crisis moment when I was there. I was like, man, I'm going to be living by myself for the next two and a half months of this summer. And I don't even know if I want to hike anymore. So I get back to California and a few days pass and I'm on a run through UCLA's campus. And I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do like all summer. And I just had no idea, like no idea. Like, what do I do? And I only knew a few people out there and I was on a run through UCLA's campus. And I saw this big movie being filmed or a big TV show. And I was like, oh, like, it's kind of cool. Like, maybe I could, I, I saw these people in the background of the movie. And it's just like, you know, you see the lights on the camera, and you're just kind of like, whoa, like, this is cool. And I see probably about 200 people in the background walking around as soon as they said action. And so I was like, that's interesting. So I, I went up to a guy that had a big belt and kind of just asked him like, hey, how do all these people in the background of the scenes get into this? I'd love to sign up. And I, I was thinking about signing up, even if it wasn't paid, but he told me, oh, they sign up for this thing called central casting and they get paid pretty well. Like you can make a living off of it. And I was like, what? Um, so he told me to go talk to one of the backgrounds and that, and I went and talked to one of them. He told me how to sign up and it was a little bit of a lottery system to get picked for. It was a platform called central casting and about two weeks passed by and I end up signing up for central casting and getting cast for background work. And for my corporate internship, I worked Monday through Thursday, but I had every Friday off. And after I signed up for background work, my week became Monday through Thursday corporate work. And on Fridays, I would get the jobs in background that nobody wanted, which were often the night shifts because nobody wants to work Friday night. And oftentimes on set, you'll be on there for anywhere from 10 to 16 hours. So I started working for, for the corporate job through Thursday. And then on Fridays, I would work from like 
4 or 5 p.m. to 6, 7, 8 a.m. And I just fell in love with it. And I was doing background. And for those that don't know, background work is literally just bottom of the totem pole. You're just a sheep that's kind of put in scenes and placed somewhere to look like this type of person. And you're casted purely based off what you look. So for me, I always played just this college background kid. And I would just be mouthing words in the background of scenes of shows or movies. Um, but I loved it. I loved being on set and being able to talk to people, having some a little bit of free food, a little bit of free coffee, and just talking for hours and getting to hear stories of people from all over the country and all over the world in general. They come from all different types of places and they all have a dream. They all have something that they're in LA for. And I loved that. And even talking to some of the actors on the sets, I just loved what they were doing. They were just having fun. They were playing make-believe to make you believe and to make you feel something. And one of the coolest things ever to me is always when you're watching a movie and you feel the emotion, you feel like you're in a character's shoes and you get impacted and feel emotions. It's so cool that we have the opportunity to do that with film. You can make somebody feel something and it's so powerful, powerful that it can make you cry. It can make you laugh. It can make you weirded out. It can make you nervous. And I think that's so cool. And I really realized that through doing that background work. And as the summer progressed, I was like, man, you know, I'm working this corporate job and I'm getting paid well. But I felt like I came alive on Fridays, even though I was just doing background. I didn't have any lines, but I just came alive on set. I would look forward to it. I'd get nervous, even though I wasn't in charge of anything. So then one Sunday, I, I was I, I was asking so many people questions about the industry. And I was like, you know what? I need to take an acting class and get involved in this. And at the time, I was also, instead of getting a gym membership, I went to a stunt training gym. And I was learning how to do some stunts in the industry, which is just another side fun thing. But on this one Sunday, I went to church one day and my my uh, priest asked me to go to lunch afterwards. And I was like, sure. Like, I went to the U UCLA Catholic Center, which over the summer only probably had about six students in the crowd. It was almost nobody. But I was there every Sunday. And uh, the priest was like, hey, Jacob, like his name is Father Mark. He's like, hey, Jacob, I'd love to like get lunch with you and just talk to you. You know, you're always here on Sunday, but I've never gotten to ask you about your life and stuff. And I was like, heck, yeah, like I'd love to talk to you. So we ended up going to California Pizza Kitchen and just like talking nonstop. And he had a portion of his life where he lived in Texas and worked at UT. And so we kind of connected over that. And I told him all about how a lot of my life has changed over the summer. And I've like found love doing background work and that I am getting invested in acting and want to learn a lot more about it and how I was doing some stunt work. And um, I'm, I'm athletic. So I, I told him about things like bull riding and pole vaulting and little things. And he was like, Hey, Jacob, I've got this guy I really want you to meet. And he's an agent out there, out here. And I think you'd love to meet him. And so my Catholic priest put me in contact with this agent. His name is Pierre. And I met with Pierre and me and Pierre kicked it off. He's an amazing guy. He works for Starburst Talent Agency. And we just kicked it off. We're talking about stories and our, our 30 minute meeting turned into three plus hours of us just talking about life and laughing at this dinner table in Beverly Hills. And um, he ends up signing me to the agency. And now he's um, the guy who submits me to auditions and we have a great friendship and I'm a part of his talent agency, Starburst Talent Agency. And he's the one who got me my first gig, my first big gig, which will be this summer, um, which I can't talk too much about, but I'll be playing like a high school jock in it and don't have a ton of lines, but I'm really excited about it. So it's funny as, you know, I did all the background throughout the summer and just loved it so much. Um, it all encapsulated when I, at the end of the summer, I was kind of reaffirmed that, 
through my, my church, I got an agent pretty much. And my agent is awesome. He's hilarious and has so many stories to tell. And we get along really well. And he submits me to these auditions. And that was in August for reference. And so after all that happened, I moved out about a week after uh, Pierre became my agent. And I moved back to Texas to finish my last semester of college, which at the time I still wasn't exactly sure was my last semester, but now it was my last semester. And um, came back to AM and I've taken virtual acting classes at Baron Brown Acting Studio in Santa Monica and studying the Meisner technique. There's a few different techniques in acting, uh, but I studied the Meisner technique and loved it and booked a few short films where I'm the... I filmed one, which you probably saw this. This is one that was in Dallas, short film called Weight of Blood, which will be coming out within the next few months. Great director, great cast. Um, I was on with a guy named Van, who he was uh, he was also a lead role. He plays my dad in the film. He's phenomenal. He was in Fight Club, actually. Um, so it was cool being on that set and being on a few others that I filmed at Sam Houston. And um, just been, you know, the goal of this whole semester has been to try to prepare myself to be able to go out to California with a highlight reel and footage of me acting so that I'm not going out with, you know, like a chicken with my head cut off. You know, I've got some things on my resume and I've got way more than I had over the summer. I've got roles and I've got acting classes under my belt and I've got people in the industry that I've met through the acting classes um, that are awesome. And um, yeah, and, and, and I think the best way to learn how to act is to do it. And so finding short films and having roles, specifically lead roles in some of those are so great to learn from and I learned so much from a guy like Van Quattro doing Weight of Blood and um, the director DeWood uh, he was awesome so that's kind of where I'm at now I think that was probably the one that I've recently seen some images of on social media so it, it was there were a lot of images of y'all in a home um, that I was scrolling through the other day but it looked like a really awesome set I can't wait to hopefully see it one day when it comes out you said it was called Weight of Blood mm -hmm. Weight of Blood cool well we'll look forward to it coming out I do want to know, this wasn't something I was originally going to ask you, but now that you brought it up, I'm just extremely interested in all that you're talking about. Explain to me and to the rest of the listeners the process of being selected for, I guess, one, for an audition, and then furthermore, actually being selected to play a role in whatever film, play, movie, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I know you have an agent. From there, what happens? I mean, you, you talked yeah. about having a highlight reel. I'm sure it's not like a typical job application. You just submit a resume. Um, maybe it is. Explain it to us. Yeah. So very, very different than anything I've ever really been involved in, but similar in a sense that it, in a sense that it's a few rounds. So say there's a role for, you know, uh, the Avengers is coming out. They're looking for a new Iron Man. Well, no Randy Dan on the street like me or anyone can just apply to get casted for that role. You have to have somebody that has an in and that somebody that has an in to these roles are usually agents. And there's small, medium and large agents that can get you different types of roles, but it's very hard to find really good projects by yourself because you'll have to use things like backstage or actors access. And a lot of times it can take your money a little bit or they're just not as official. There's been times where I show up to a set and they're filming with an iPhone because I find it on um an unprofessional platform so it's like if you have an agent that gets you work it's a lot more certified to be professional professional a lot of times it'll be a part of the union the union is the most credible part of everything non-union stuff isn't as credible but can still be very well uh but an agent pretty much can get you auditions for 
more professional roles that are better for your resume and better for your IMDb, et cetera, et cetera. Things that you could not get yourself. So that's how an agent works. They just give you auditions and then you'll film them on a court tape, or if you're in LA, you'll do it in person and then send it back to your agent and your agent approves it and submits it to people through a platform called Actors Access. But regarding how the process works is I can apply for a role through a little app like Backstage and Backstage is kind of like a version of maybe even Instagram for directors and actors and crew people because a director will post a role or post a crew role and me being an actor I'll search for roles for ages 16 to 25 Caucasian male located in LA and I'll get a result that shows all the roles that have been recently released for that and I can see ones that'll have um scripts that I can audition for on myself. And a lot of times they're small projects. There'll be things like short films, feature films, um, music videos, things like that. So that's how I could do that sometimes. And for a lot of those roles, it's do the audition. They'll text you back and forth on the app. And then you might get a, a Zoom call with the director. And then the director will choose if you get the role or not. So that's how it'll work on my own. But for the more of the professional roles and all the bigger roles that I get through my agent, Pierre will send me a role through Actors Access, which is the biggest platform that you can do some of yourself, but it's mostly connected through agents. So Pierre will send me an audition. I'll film the audition, put it into Actors Access, and then it goes to the casting director. And for big films, the casting director is the person that makes the choice of people for roles. They're hired to make sure somebody's perfect for a role. They're hired by the directors. So bigger projects, more people involved. But the casting director will initially, I'll submit say uh the, ah, i need to backtrack a little bit the way that i get an audition on actors access is that a casting director will just scroll through maybe a thousand faces that pierre just submitted a face a headshot just like a bunch of other agents did he might submit three people another agent might submit 10 but this one role for iron man gets a thousand submissions and the casting director will just scroll through oh you 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 you, you, you. it's just like how do you look how do you look for this role and they'll pick maybe 100 people and then of those 100 people, based on how you look, you get an audition. And so that's when I would get the audition from Pierre and I would film it, film a good one, send it back. And oftentimes I'll film a slate, which is pretty much a little minute biography about myself and my height and where I'm located. So I'll submit those two. And then the casting director will watch all 100 of those auditions and they'll be like, hmm, my favorite were maybe John's, Jacob's and... Timothy's and they'll pick three to 10 people. It can really be as much as they want, but usually it's less. And then the casting director will have a meeting with us, with us. And, and we'll all have our individual one-on-one -on -one meeting, but they'll just talk to us, pick our brains a little bit, ask, a little bit, ask about our availability, ask about why we want the role. And if we get the role, um, then that's pretty much the end of the second round. You get to meet the, the you get to meet the director and the director will be the final one to approve you. And if he approves you, you get the role. So it's usually they look at your headshots, you film an audition, you get a callback and the callback is Zoom talking with the casting director. And then at the end, it's director approval. And if the director approves you, you get the role. Wow. Okay. So that is not like a typical application process for any old day job. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some similarities uh, kind of sprinkled in there. One thing that I thought was interesting is that maybe this is a product of you know, the environment with COVID and, and what we've recently gone through in, you know, the past few years, has it always been this reliant on 
video and I guess Zoom or because I was under the impression that your audition would be you go in to, you know, meet with the casting director, run some lines. And then from there, the callback again would be you literally go into the office, have a callback meeting with said casting director, et cetera. But is that is it not like that anymore, I'm assuming? So that I and that's what I might one of my goals when I go to L.A. is to have in-person auditions and try to fight for them but before COVID all in person there was nothing virtual if they really wanted you for an audition you get flown in for an audition um and callbacks would all be in person etc cetera, etc cetera. it was all in person and everyone talks about how nerve-wracking it is um doing in-person auditions because you could walk in for this big role and you know you might have more than just the casting director there in person but since COVID excuse me since COVID a lot of it has changed to virtual just because it saves the casting directors and the companies so much more money and they can get more auditions for more people. People aren't limited to have to live in LA or New York to make it. So there's like pros and cons, but it ha it's changed a lot since COVID. It's, it's all virtual right now, which has helped me being, you know, away, but uh, I'm, I hope in the industry it changes back, but I'm not sure that it will because it saves so much money for people and so much time for others. So it'll be interesting to see how it changes and if it changes back in the next few years. But I know commercials and commercial work have rotated back to more in-person stuff because a lot of commercials are just filmed in the same city and need to be filmed quicker. Uh, so we'll see, but yeah, it's it's changed a lot in the past few years. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've given me plentiful amount like a, a huge amount of information for acting what your background is where you are now and what you have had to grow into and what you've had to learn what i want to dive into now is kind of pivot here a little bit and i want to ask you some questions that are not necessarily in relation to anything specific meaning not specifically about your background and not specifically about acting um or there furthermore about your tiktok which we will get into in just a bit but tell me if you could have dinner with any three people, dead, alive, does not matter, that's probably a question you've been asked before. If you could sit down and have dinner with three people, and I already know that you love to have conversations and just learn more, you, you have this passion for people that is so, I guess, just obvious when you're speaking, and that's a great thing to have and to shine through. So if there were three people that you could sit down at dinner with and talk to and pick their brain, who would those three people be? And give us a little insight as to why. I know, oh man, that's a great question. I know my first two for sure would be Mark Wahlberg and Matthew McConaughey. I love those guys so much. Like I, I've been listening to Green Lights and I've listened to it a few times already and I'll listen to it again and again and again. But Matt, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, just because I love his career and I love what he stands for. And he always tells movies that just tell stories that I love. Like, I don't know, his movies are just great. And I love how he came from nothing and like, was a 14 year old and was addicted to drugs and went to jail, gets out and is living kind of in the slums and has to leave all his friends that he still sees every day and ends up totally like flipping his life around, flipping a switch and like just making such a great career, leading a family great, making amazing movies and just telling great stories. So I love these family man. I love that he wakes up at 4 a.m. and grinds <laughs> and works out and then takes his kids to, to school and then might play some golf. And all in between somehow finds ways to make all these movies and stay in great shape. Like I would just love to pick his brain and like, and I've heard from people in LA how he volunteers at his church and like, is just also like loves people. And so I would just love to pick his brain and ask him questions. 
And then Matthew McConaughey, just because like after reading his book, I feel like I know everything about the guy. And I just like, and like hearing the book, hearing his voice talk, I just like, he's such a deep thinker. And me and him are so similar, but so different that I would just love to like find like more, find out more about what makes him tick and just get advice from him because he's such a like deep thinker. And, you know, a little story in the book is that he turned down a $2 million job in a span. So he he quit doing rom-coms in like 2009 because he wasn't fulfilled by them, even though he was making great money. And about 10 months passed and he got one of his, another rom-com offer that was amazing. It was for like 2 million and then it was for 4 million and then it was 14 million and he still turned it away because he wanted to pivot his career. So he turned down, you know, eight weeks of work for $14 million because he was trying to pivot his career and ends up pivoting, pivoting his career, had 20 months of no work in the industry, and which is very unlikely in Hollywood, because if you're away from Hollywood for too long, it'll kick you right out. Um, but he took 20 months off and then ended up getting into things like Dallas Buyer Club and Mud and Interstellar and just like totally rebranding himself and telling like phenomenal stories that are way different than rom-com stories. I don't know if you've seen Interstellar, but it's like crazy, great movie. And so is Dallas Buyers Club. But anyways... I would just love to like ask him more about him and like, like ask him about how he defines success. That's one of the things he talks about in the book, but just love to ask him. And he's a Texas boy. There's not many Texas boys in the Texas boys or girls in the industry. So I'd love to talk to him a little bit about that too, having a similar upbringing. So them two. And then lastly, man, I don't know who the last one would be, but probably my grandma, she passed away. Like I didn't ever know her, but my dad always talks about her. So I'd love to talk to her and just like, Get, get to know her grandma mary is her name um and just talk to her feel like it'd be a really good conversation that's sweet i uh, i'm sure grandma mary would love to talk to you as well and it's ironic that you picked uh two of my favorite people or favorite actors i should say in matthew mcconaughey and mark Wahlberg. i am inspired by mark Wahlberg for many of the reasons that you spoke on there and ironically enough i'm reading green lights right now and about two nights ago i just read the exact little passage you were talking about where he was pivoting his career from romantic comedies into Mm -hmm. more dramatic storytelling type roles Mm -hmm. and turned down two then four then eight then 14 or whatever i mean it was just ridiculous so i don't know that i would have had the willpower um but the type of dedication and just persistence that he has not only to do something like that and turn down the money but that he's shown throughout some of his roles. And you mentioned Dallas Buyers Club. Didn't he lose just like 40 pounds, like 40 pounds that he didn't have to lose yeah. to play that role, like the way that he really wanted it or thought that it should be played? Yeah, and they didn't even have like this. They weren't sure if they were filming in that fall. And he he got down 130 something pounds, like I think like 136. And he's like over six foot. Yeah. So it's like skin and bones. All he was eating was egg whites and vegetables and like a chicken. That's it. Like nuts. So, so much dedication. Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of egg whites and chicken, I think now's a great time to ask you about your fitness journey, because honestly, I need to start paying more attention to your TikToks. I'm, it's a new year trying to shed a few pounds myself, as I'm sure most people are these days. Um, but part of that is, is learning how to diet, how to exercise, et cetera. I've always been an avid runner, but I've learned very quickly. And I've probably said this on the podcast before, but you cannot outrun a bad diet. And my recent marathon is perfect case in point for that. As I was running 
30 miles a week for 16 weeks and, and still eating and or drinking like whatever I wanted to basically. And pretty much no difference in weight that was lost or, you know, anything that needed to actually be lost. So I say that to pivot here and ask you a little bit about your fitness channel. Talk to me about your TikTok, how you got into that. Obviously, the love from fitness has got to stem from your family of sports. I mean, I'm just kind of making the assumption there. But tell me a little bit more about when you decided to make the TikTok channel, why fitness was the you know topic of choice for it, et cetera. Yeah, great question. So always, you know, I saw people kind of blowing up on TikTok and talking to friends, say, for instance, Alex and Pablo, good buddies of mine, and you know them as well. They started making TikToks. And, you know, when you first start making them, you probably get 100 views on each of them and don't have many followers. And it kind of sucks because you feel like a wannabe posting on social media, but then things kind of land. And so I saw that land for a lot of people and people making money off of it, making careers and being able to just tell a message that they started posting in their living room. And I was like, you know what, whenever I moved to California, I felt so disconnected from home that I was like, I've always wanted to kind of like spread my knowledge a little bit because I really do know a lot about fitness and a lot about dieting through sports like boxing and football. I've had to bulk up for roll, bulk up for a season and I've had to cut down to do things like pole vault and box. And I've had to do it really quick and I've had to do it really long over time. So I had experience with that. And um, when I moved to California, I had the time to do it. I would get off at work at four and most evenings I wouldn't have too, too much going on. And so I decided, let me just try making TikToks. And, you know, without a second thought, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, I've always worked out and love working out and know a lot about it. Why not tell people about it? And I also think social media will portray things a little differently than they are. So I have like specific things that I try to tell on my TikTok, but that's how it kind of started. And so for the first month, like nothing, like I was getting nothing. I would get a text every now and then from a friend, like, Hey, I saw you with your shirt off on TikTok," And I was like, yeah, that was me. And I had like, whatever, a hundred followers, but then like one video clicked. And then in two days I had 10,000. And then as the summer finished, I think I ended the summer with like 25,000 followers. And since then a few more videos have gone big and now close to 50,000. And, um, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And, and I've loved doing it because it was so hard for me to jump out of my comfort zone to do that and took a lot of willpower for me to like, you know, it's very vulnerable to like, show anyone and whoever sees it on TikTok, your body and post tips on how to develop your physique and now selling little programs about how to develop your physique and things like that. So that's how it kind of started. And my message on TikTok um, I have a few different ones. I sell like an ab program and the ab program has diet advice and um, fitness advice and little ab workouts in it. But the biggest thing when it comes to like workouts and, and dieting and like say getting in shape and what I'm kind of known for on TikTok is getting shredded and having abs. And um, all it is, is just really eating a lot of protein and eating healthy carbs. And what I've kind of ticked onto and hooked onto lately is the one ingredient diet. I love it. And, and I'm somebody who balances life. I had cheesecake like five days ago. Like I don't always eat great. Um, but if I follow a diet that's 80% healthy and 20% not, then I'm good. Because what I do is I eat mostly one ingredient foods. So I don't snack much. I eat one ingredient foods being things like chicken, things like potatoes, rice, things like beef. Like I eat foods that have one ingredient, not the bag of chips that has 40 different ingredients. So if I stick to foods that have one ingredient, that means they're like from the earth or from an animal that are like healthy. So I predominantly in most 
of the time, eat one ingredients foods and drink a lot of water. I really don't drink any drink besides water at this point in my life. So that's kind of the diet I stick to. And a lot of people like specifically my following is ages 15 to like 25. And a lot of people are like, Oh, like, how do I like lose weight? And specifically these kids, their testosterone's like so high. And it's also really hard on the mind to be counting calories. So I always tell my followers, like, don't count calories. If you eat high protein and eat healthy foods, like that have one ingredient, just look at the nutrition label. If it has one ingredient, good. Eat some of it. Fruits, all one ingredient. Eat a lot of fruits. Like they're healthy for you. Vegetables, all healthy for you. They have one ingredient. So I try to tell my followers that stuff to not get hooked on the count everything, count these calories and, and like get obsessive in your mind. Um, I try to let it be organic and just tell them to eat a lot of protein if you want to gain muscle. Organic, no pun intended. I like that. Um, well, okay. Aside from the actual fitness portion of it, and I'm sure myself and a lot of the listeners here will take that advice to heart. So we appreciate you sharing. And if you'd like to go check out his um, dieting and nutrition guide and his ab workout guide. Um, we'll shout out all of his social media platforms here at the end of the video or at the end of the podcast. Uh, but one thing I want to ask is in relation to growing your TikTok following, I know you said, you know, one video went very viral that kind of spiked it initially. Nowadays, what is your strategy, if any, for posting? Meaning, are you consistently like one a day at least? You're posting something about how to get shredded, dieting advice, et cetera. Or do you just do it as you are able and as you are inspired? How does it work for you? Yeah. So as it's progressed now, I focus a lot more of my time on, I want to act full-time and that's what I would love to do down the line. I'm trying to use TikTok as an ability to help me pay my rent and make life easier. So I don't pump out videos as much as I used to, but I still will make one like every two or three days. It's kind of like as I'm able um, and I kind of know my tactic now. Once you figure out TikTok and figure out your followers, it's like not too difficult to market things to them. Like my followers are predominantly like teenagers. And so in a lot of my videos, I started off with, if you were a teenager looking to get in better shape, if you're a teenager looking to get abs, if you're a teenager looking to lose weight. So I market to my exact audience. And if somebody's scrolling through TikTok and sees like, oh, I'm a teenager. Oh, like I could lose a little bit of weight. Like, oh, okay, let me watch this. Oh, it's an ab workout. Let me save it and I'll do it later. Like people see things like that. And so a lot of times it's just like knowing your target audience and having a strategy just so that they know that you're talking to them. If you're a teenager that doesn't know much about healthy foods, look at this. And so I'll literally just say that in the video and um, people will watch it because of it. And then because people watch it, TikTok sends it out to more people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in my comments, I'll usually plug my ad program or plug one-on-one -on -one coaching. And um, that's what will end up bringing me money. And that's like, that's something that's lo low, like say one-on-one -on -one coaching is more like low effort, but high impact because you develop a relationship, make pretty good money off of it. And you could see like the person you're helping because so much of TikTok is like, I might have gotten a million views on this post, but I don't know anyone that watched it, you know? So I like when it comes full circle, but that's, I guess, the strategy I use. I haven't posted as much as, as of late, just because I've been focusing way more on acting and way more on finding roles in acting specific. I mean, especially because I'm moving out to LA in like three weeks. So been getting everything ready for that, but yeah. Well, in relation to what you were just speaking on, money, paying your rent, having acting be your main source of income, having your ability to do that full-time as the end goal, which as it should be. I'd like to ask you a question that 
is a little philosophical in nature, but one that I like to ask guests when they come on. I've recently been pondering this myself and one that I've been thinking on going into the new year. And that is, would you rather have more time or more money? And why? Honestly, it and like it sounds like I'm hesitating, but definitely more time. Like definitely more time because and me being a person that wants to do so much, like I'm not moving to LA and pursuing acting at all for like the money. I'm only doing this purely because it makes me come alive and it lights a fire under me. It makes me feel like myself and it makes me happy. So like if I had more time, I could do that more. And I could continue to like, you know, I love doing little crazy things like traveling. Like if I had more time, I could travel more. I could double down on these things. Like, yeah, I, I think that would be it. Cause I'm not, like I'm pursuing this unique avenue in life that a lot of people end up trying to do. Some pull through with it, some don't. And it's very unlikely the odds are never in your favor in acting and in making it. But the only reason I'm doing it is because it makes me come alive. It makes me feel like me and I, and I love it. So if I had more time to do that, hell yeah, I'm going to take more time to do that because I'm not doing it to make paychecks, even though a lot of times it is good pay. Like, man, give me give me enough to pay my rent and get a good meal every now and then and like I'm fine you know so I think that would be it and if I had more time like once I have a family like I'm gonna love my family a lot so if I had more time with the kids like that'd be sick you know <laughs> well okay so talk to me about you know well backtrack I love the answer I think I agree pretty much wholeheartedly with what you said there mm -hmm. I'm someone that values money in a lot of ways because I think money is something that can provide you with peace of mind and it can provide you with freedom and I think there comes a point on that curve where it stops providing you the amount of freedom and flexibility that it did initially and where it just becomes, I don't want to use the term waste, but not as valuable as the time that you could be buying back could be. And so I look at it in much a similar light that you do, and hopefully some of our listeners can take that to heart and think through it or ponder it and reflect on it to make that decision for themselves on really what matters the most. And that's not to say that I am not absolutely chasing the money because I'm not at a point in my life where I have the freedom or flexibility that I'd like to have. And <laughs> so when I get to that point, at least I'll have hopefully the, I guess, awareness to look back on myself and say, okay, I've got enough now to where I'm comfortable. I, I don't have to worry about things that I used to worry about. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for me to focus on pouring into the other aspects of my life that I want to pour into. Yeah. Um, but it's all a balance. I, I get caught up sometimes thinking that, well, maybe I should just be more balanced from the beginning. Maybe I should be pouring into these other aspects of my life regardless and just kind of extending the curve out a little bit further and further. But it's a case-by-case -case basis, and each person makes that determination for themselves. So I say that solely just to encourage the listeners to think on it for themselves and figure out what works best for you and what you really prioritize. and what is driving you in life because you've got to have some sort of why it's got to matter to you for some reason mm -hmm. obviously acting matters to you in a very big way and we can see that shine through both in the video talking to you and through the words that the listeners will hear when they you know throw in their headphones and listen to the episode mm -hmm. so one thing i want to jump to is talk to me about end goal and i, I don't mean to sound um kind of rude by asking this question but what is plan b if any what happens if 
acting doesn't work out for you, or is that not an option for you? What what are your goals? Might be a better way to rephrase the question. And then, what's your approach to responding to those goals if failure might be in the cards? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not too naive to think that you know one in ten thousand people really can make it in acting, like really make it, and maybe one in four or five thousand can make a living off of it. So I know that going into it. But what kind of defines success for me is having fun every day and being in a place where I can be myself all the time and just like make people laugh, talk to people and like, just be myself. Like, I don't ever want to be put in a box. And a lot of times, you know, I don't, I don't know if that will be corporate. Um, We'll see. I'm accepting the job with um, a defense contractor that starts in July and it's four days a week. It's like the left, the least corporate thing I could really get because it's four days a week and I get off at four just because I will go in early and have three day weekends. Um, But you know, ideally the goal is to be able to act full time and to be able to, I would love that job and I would just love it so much. And I love the idea of being on set for eight weeks and then getting a break and then being on set and then getting a break. But I think as I'm young, I would love to be on set a lot. Um, But if I can make people smile and make people feel something like, man, I would love that. Like being able to make films and tell stories. I would love to tell stories and, and tell the story of like my dad's life and tell little stories of other people that I can play and see myself in like I'd love to tell stories that unite people and unite like you know one thing I love is how football brought me so many great friends all of which who are different colors and different races than me I'd love to tell stories that tell those types of stories that bring people together and make you feel great and make you feel like you want to change things so in acting that's what I'd love to do is you know make films and down the line make my own films and tell stories that are super passionate to me like guys like Mark Wahlberg and um, Matthew McConaughey have done, but say all that hits the fan and it just doesn't click at all. And maybe I meet a girl and want to have kids immediately and things really change, which I doubt that would happen. Um, but if they did, I'm, I know that a white picket fence is always across the corner. Like I'm blessed to know that I could have a place at my house in Katy and, and live at home and work a different job here. If I needed to, um, I've met so many great people that I could maybe get a job with and um, apply to jobs that's never like out of the thing you know I sometimes whenever you get a job you feel like you're stuck in it but there's so many jobs that you can like apply for so if I needed to get something else I would and um, who knows maybe I'll end up starting something in fitness maybe I'll start something I don't know Um, but right now the eyes are set on acting and if it doesn't work out I'll find something else I have no doubt about that. Someone as well-rounded and as inspiring and as, I guess, passionate and purposeful as yourself will be just fine. And I look forward to seeing all that you accomplish in the coming year, years, and, you know, plus. So thanks, man. I guess in closing, I really just want to ask, is there anything that you'd like to share that maybe I didn't give you the opportunity to or anything you'd like to share that maybe I didn't ask you? Um... I have one quote I love that I'll share. Yes. Okay. Um, so this is a quote from the book Wild at Heart, and I love it because the more I think about it, the more I like strive to do these things. But it's don't do what the world needs you to do. Find what makes you come alive and do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And so I guess I love that quote just because don't ever like the advice to everyone listening is like, don't ever do what you feel forced to do do what makes you come alive if that's 
taking pictures, pursue that, but do what makes you come alive because that's not work. That's, that's fun. That's life and it's fulfilling. And if you're good at it and you love it and you're passionate about it, I, I'm a firm believer that the money will come down the line. So I guess advice is just to find what you're passionate about and do that um, because it'll bring the most happiness. I love it. And I am a huge buff for, for quotes. I know it was probably um, prior to your time in our student organization back in the day. Um, and maybe you remember the joke, but it was a little earlier on in my college career. So I'm not sure if you were there just yet, but I was known for starting every speech. And when I was in charge, every meeting with a quote of some sort, and I didn't realize that it was a running joke with the guys for like half the year until people really started to like start to chuckle in the background every time I would start with a quote. Um, and so I am a you know huge advocate for what you just shared. Totally love that. If you've got more quotes, feel free to send them over. I'll include them in the link when we share everything uh, or include them in the caption when we share everything. But yeah, just a funny little anecdote there that I was known as the quote guy for a while just because that was always my favorite thing to do. Hey, well, the quotes live on. Enthusiasm drives the bus is still said, at least I would. <laughs> it sure does, man. I uh, I think the original kind of guy who coined enthusiasm drives the bus just went back and spoke uh, not too long ago. So oh, I always thought it was you. I carried the torch. Uh, I believe uh, good old and, you know, maybe there's a, an older gentleman that knows more than I do. And maybe it was someone else. But from my understanding, a guy by the name of Seth Maker coined that term, uh, and he's yeah. now a uh, firefighter up here in Dallas. Funny yeah. story, actually. I'll throw this on, and this will be after the end of the episode, maybe. But if anybody wants to listen to this little funny story, feel free. But I was at my fiance's apartment when I first moved to Dallas, and it was like the middle of the night. The fire alarm starts going off, and she lives in a high-rise. So we're on like the 12th floor of this high-rise building in downtown Dallas. And the fire alarm's going off, blaring, and it's speaking to us. It's telling us, please evacuate the building, go down the staircase, please evacuate the building, go down the staircase, et cetera. So we go, there's a staircase nearby our room. We go, I'm carrying the dog. Luckily, it's a very small dog. My dog Murphy's about five pounds. So <laughs> carrying the dog down 12 flights of stairs, we get all the way to the bottom. I'm like groggy, like trying to wipe like eye crust out and, you know, wake up some sort at three in the morning. And... I hear someone, one of the firemen goes, Vinny? And everybody that I'm with, me, my fiance and her roommate at the time, all just like turn and are like, do you know one of these? Like, how do you know one of these firemen? Like, this is just like the strangest <laughs> like place for this to happen. Because there wasn't, thankfully, there was never an actual fire. There was a problem with the sprinkler system or the alarm or something. But they couldn't figure out how to get it shut off immediately. So it took them a while. They were running around. And he just like took the time to like, hey, Vinny. And it was Seth Maker. And for those of y'all that know him, um, good old boy that just was an awesome influence in college for a lot of us. And uh, I believe he was the one that coined the enthusiasm drives the bus term. And I just kind of carried that torch after he was gone. So that would make sense. I love it. All right. Well, that's all, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with Jacob, you can follow him on Instagram at JacobM132. That's at J A C O B M 132. And you can follow him on TikTok at jacoby.math at jacoby.math as always don't forget to follow the podcast on all platforms at up to the mic underscore pod we'll see you in the next one
Let's go. Yeah. I'm like an addict. Do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing. Got a really bad habit.